Hello dreamers and welcome back to this week's episode. Before we get started, I have a few quick notes about the show. This is an independent ad-free podcast, which means I depend solely on you, the listeners, to keep the show moving, and there are a couple of ways that you can help. You can leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts or whichever directory that you get your shows on. You can recommend us in true crime discussion groups, or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have an extra dollar or two a month, you can subscribe to the show's Patreon, and in doing so, you will gain access to dozens of exclusive, full-length episodes that you won't hear anywhere else, and you do not have to be subscribed to the $5 or $10 levels. Every subscriber gets a listen. And if a subscription isn't something that you are interested in, but you would still like to make a contribution to me and the puppies, you can do so through PayPal using the email californiapod at gmail.com. This week, I would like to thank Susan M., Sarah M., Jessica C., Jennifer M., Marissa, Sue E., Lisa S., Chris P., Jane G., Adrian H., Ashley S., Dolores A., and Caroline for either becoming a new subscriber, coming back, or raising your pledge to the next tier. If you have subscribed in the last two weeks and you have not yet heard your shout out, it will be up soon, most likely in the next episode after this one. And just a disclaimer up front, Some of this episode is going to be a lot of my own opinions and conclusions that I've reached based on the events that have unfolded in this case. You may or may not agree, especially if for some reason you are a Lori Vallow and or a Chad Daybell supporter. There may be a handful of you, and there are at least five people that I know are standing by Chad Daybell, which is what this episode is mostly going to be about, and a big reason why I'm recording this. So let's get started with this 235th episode of California Dreaming, the tale of In Defense of Dad, The Delusions of the Daybells. I'm Nate Eaton with EastIdahoNews.com in Kauai, where Chad and Lori Daybell were served with two search warrants just hours ago. Law enforcement officers from Eastern Idaho, along with federal agents and the Kauai Police Department, pulled Lori and Chad over. They were driving a black SUV. They pulled into this resort where I am standing. They put Chad into one vehicle, Lori into another. That's when their vehicle was seized and they had no way to get home. We had a chance to ask them so many questions that need answers. Lori Nate Eaton with East Idaho News. Can you tell me where your kids are? Where are your kids? No comment. No comment? They've been missing for four months. You have nothing to say? You're over here in Hawaii? Where are your children? Yeah, why don't you just give us a comment? Just tell us where they are. Chad, where are Lori's kids? What happened to Tammy, Chad? Can you tell us what happened to Tammy? Why have you guys been in Hawaii for so long? Listen, just tell people what's happening. There's people around the country praying for your children, praying for you guys. Why don't you give us answers? That's great. That's great. That's great that they're praying for you, praying for your kids, what? You have nothing to say? Did you do something to your children? Are your children still alive? That's a simple question. I've got three kids of my own. I can tell you every minute where my kids are at. Where are your children? 
What do you guys plan to do now? Are you going to, you have five days to get your children in front of a judge in Rexburg, then what? Are you guys innocent of any crimes? Have you committed any crimes? Chad, you guys have a lot to say on your podcast. You don't have anything to say now? Lori? Do you believe that you were instructed by God or others to do something for your children? If you could give a message to them, what would you say? Listen, if you just talk to us, we'll leave you alone. The family's worried. Tammy's family's very worried. Tammy's family's very worried. Lori, uh, your, your mother, Kay, came out. Kay and Larry, they're offering a $20,000 reward for your children? And you're over here on the beach? This is your chance to tell your story. Nothing you want to say? One last chance right here? Anything you want to say to the people in Idaho? Laura, you have a lot of cash there in your, in your baggie. Were you guys planning to leave Hawaii? Were you planning to take off? And with that, Chad and Lori darted into this resort and they still have not come out. Now, police have that is really the moment that I always come back to whenever I enter into any discussion about Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. The that's great comment just kills me every single time. That happened way back at the end of January of 2020. But I will go through a quick recap of the timeline of events in this case in a few minutes. But I cannot mince words here, my friends. I loathe that woman with every fiber of my existence. I do not like Chad Daybell any more than her. But it was her that the world was looking for while those two ship boxes were soaking up rays, frolicking in the sand, strumming ukuleles and whatnot in Hawaii. It makes you wish that somebody would have grabbed that ukulele and knocked them both upside the head with it. We now know where their kids were. It would only be less than six months later that we would find out what they did with 16-year-old Tylee Ryan and 7-year-old J.J. Vallow. At the time that I first covered this case, it was about nine days after the children were found back on June 18th of 2020. The bodies of Lori's two children were discovered buried in Chad Dable's backyard. I went through most of the dead bodies that the two of them left in their wake, and you know what? I don't even think I got them all at the time, but I will this time. And I don't know if I said it in my first episode on this case, but I'll say it now. These two are a pair of the most wickedly evil individuals that we have come across in quite some time. I believe that they were both on some level of evil prior to meeting one another. Lori may have been more so than Chad or either that or Chad was able to put up a better front. Perhaps Chad's evil side needed somebody like Lori in order to bring it out of him, to ignite it. But once their lives became intertwined, the fuse was lit. And you know what I believe hastened the journey of death and destruction that these two embarked on together? It was the killing of Lori's fourth husband, Charles Vallow. Lori and her brother, Alex Cox, they set him up to be murdered. And their plan worked, sort of. 
When Charles Vallow was shot and killed in Arizona by his brother-in-law, the police bought the story that Lori and Alex fed them. Lori with a little bit of a giggle and a little bit of a hair flip. Alex with a tiny little nick on the back of his head. That's all it took for them to be able to successfully make their case for self-defense. That's privilege at its best. But as I said, their plan sort of worked. Here's the thing. Lori had been messing around and playing games with Charles leading up to that point. She had taken off for two months without any contact with him at all. She had drained his bank account. And when he was trying to come home from a business trip, Lori had his plane ticket canceled. She had stolen his truck from the airport parking lot. She had him locked out of his own house. And then when he was finally able to break in with the help of police, he found that the whole place had been emptied out. Charles clapped back by petitioning for Lori to be taken in for a psychiatric evaluation, which she was able to pass within just a few hours. So Lori was then free to continue wreaking havoc in Charles's life. But he wasn't finished because not only had she done all of these things to him, she had also threatened his life. So he quietly changed the beneficiary of his $1 million life insurance policy from Lori to his sister, Kay Woodcock, five months before he was murdered. Charles saw it. He saw it coming. He knew his death was on its way, and death was a blonde, narcissistic psychopath named Lori Vallow. The one thing Charles didn't see was Lori murdering his son or her daughter. He had gone over to Lori's new place in Arizona, thinking that he was safe with the children around. That was a very unfortunate miscalculation on his part. I feel for the guy, because it sounded like he was still in love with Lori, despite everything that she was doing. He welcomed her back with open arms after she had suddenly reappeared from vanishing for two months. He had made the preemptive move when she did that by filing for divorce, but he ended up taking it back. I don't think it mattered to Lori whether or not Charles filed for divorce because I don't think she ever intended to divorce him. She told Charles that she was going to destroy him. Just like she had said in the past when she said she was going to murder husband number three, Joseph Ryan, and whoops, what do you know? He's dead too. Charles Vallow did get the last laugh. After Lori and Alex set him up to be killed at their house, she called to make the claim on Charles's $1 million life insurance policy, and that is when she got the news that she was no longer the beneficiary. Charles's sister Kay was. She got the money. And Lori, you know she was mad. She took a picture of the change of beneficiary documents and sent that to Kay and wrote at the bottom, five kids and no money and his sister gets everything. While I wish I could laugh my ass off about this, and I wish so much that Charles would have been able to have had his in-your-face moment when Lori found out that she was no longer getting that $1 million, the problem is I tend to believe that this was a big part of the reason why Lori and Chad did what they did, if not the reason. While this move was well played on Charles's part, 
if not for Lori not getting her grubby, murdery hands on that $1 million, JJ and Tylee may still be alive today, possibly even Chad's wife, Tammy, as well. With that $1 million, Lori and Chad would have been able to move on. They would have been able to afford to continue to take care of the kids. Chad would have been able to afford to divorce Tammy instead of murdering her. And the million dollars would have bought them enough time to get on their feet to continue doing whatever batshit crazy stuff that they were planning on doing. I believe that $1 million was the impetus for it all. Lori was already nuts before she and Alex murdered Charles. And she may have gone on to murder JJ and Tylee sometime in the future. But who knows? Perhaps Tylee would have been able to get on with her life before Lori had the chance to take her out. Maybe Lori would have been willing to give up JJ to his grandparents now that she was no longer a Vallow, though still technically his mother. Clearly, Lori's children were not her priority. And that is a thing that doesn't happen overnight. But losing $1 million could certainly trigger something catastrophic. It pains me to think that a change in beneficiary sealed those children's fate and possibly Tammy's. But you know, even if Lori did get her hands on that money, there would probably have come a time when she would have murdered those kids anyway. She just didn't want to be bothered with them anymore. They were getting in the way, and apparently there wasn't enough room for them amongst the 144,000 that were to be saved for the second coming. Also, there's the financial motivation behind it all as well. I'll go over that more later on. And so Chad and Lori set off on this path to pretty much becoming serial killers under the guise of preparing for the end of times and ridding themselves of anyone around them that they deemed to be dark beings or zombies, those terms that they liked to throw around. It was their own deluded way of justifying their murder spree. Call them zombies and technically, they're already dead. So I might be a little late to the game when it comes to the topic of today's episode. But the reason for that is because I just recently listened to an episode of the 48 Hours podcast that was released back on July 24th. Well, I guess I'm not that late to it, but I did just get around to listening to it this week. And I was kind of put off by what I was listening to. And I felt like I had to say something about it. So because this is sort of an unplanned discussion of this case, I mean, not to insinuate that there is all that much planning that goes on into very many of the things that I do anyway. This is one that really got under my skin while I was driving to work one day last week. And I don't talk about this case all that much, maybe once in a while when somebody posts about it because it's just so sad. And all I want to hear is, you're guilty. She's guilty. He's guilty. Go away forever. But after I listened to that 48 hours episode, I felt like I had to speak about it. Chad Dabel's five children, Garth, Emma, Seth, Leah, and Mark. The Daybell kids. 
They've had more than two years to think about their father's situation. And I do not blame them one single bit for all five of them to want to come to his defense. But I think it's a very, very sad situation that they have chosen to defend their father rather than their mother. They do have that choice. And maybe it doesn't matter to them because she's already dead. But for me, it's all the more reason for them to be her voice, especially knowing now that Tammy was murdered and their dad was the only person around when she dropped dead. To some extent, with some of the things that the Daybell children had to say, I may agree with them a little bit on some parts. Perhaps Lori Vallow was the worst thing that could have ever happened to their father. Maybe none of this would have ever happened if he had never met her. Maybe she did manipulate him with her cunning strategiums, but I don't buy it. Not completely. Chad Daybell was and is a reasonably intelligent man capable of free will and independent thinking. Just like Alex and Lori were privileged enough for cops to look past them for murdering Charles Vallow, Chad Daybell enjoyed that same privilege when 911 was called when his wife suddenly died out of nowhere. Everybody in this case just threw around the term natural causes like it was going out of style, choosing to look the other way instead of doing their due diligence the first time around. Tammy's death was yet another instance in this case when a murder was overlooked because the killers didn't look the part. If this was anybody else of a different background or a social standing or economic status living in a less desirable neighborhood, they'd be in jail. And yes, Tammy was murdered. Authorities and investigators had to roll back on the mistakes that were made and the obviousness that was overlooked, and they dug Tammy up for an autopsy, and oh, guess what? She died of asphyxiation. And with the only other person in the room with her being Chad Daybell, either she asphyxiated herself or he did it. However, when it comes to the Daybell children, everything that gets said is always followed by a but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. It's this never-ending procession of excuses that I find kind of nauseating. I by no means wish to take away from what these children and their families have had to suffer through because of what their father and his new bride did. The wreckage that those two left in their wake is immeasurable. But honestly, dreamers, I just have to say something. Maybe it's not my place, but really, I don't care. I could not listen to their interview on CBS and not say something. Let me start first with a brief recap of the timeline of events that led up to this. It might not be all that brief because there is so much going on with this story, but I won't go into great details because there are lots of podcasts about this case. And if you're like most of the COVID 2020 world, then you probably followed the story in real time. Oh, and this is not considered a vacation series episode because Lori's murdery ass was born in San Bernardino, California. And by the way, Tammy was born in Pasadena, California, and she attended elementary school about a mile away from where I grew up. 
So because she was born in 1970 and I was born in 1974, we were kind of kids in the same area for quite some years. So anyway, there is a very solid connection to California all over this case. Okay, here is the timeline. On March 9, 1990, Chad Daybell and Tammy Douglas got married in Manti, Utah. In 1992, Lori Cox married her high school boyfriend shortly after graduating high school. His name, the date of the marriage, and the date of divorce are not known. However, I did find Lori listed on Alex's obituary, and oddly enough, every single one of her names ever is listed with the exception of one. Lori, Noreen, Cox, Yanis, Lagoya, Valo, Daybell. Daybell is followed by among others, but notice that Ryan is not listed. However, that husband, Joseph Ryan, has been accused of physically and sexually abusing both Lori's son from her second marriage and the daughter that they had together, which is why the family may have opted to leave his name out. But yeah, Lori, Noreen, Cox, Yanis, Lagoya, Valo, Daybell. The name of husband number one would have been Yanis. I didn't dig any further than that. He managed to escape with his life. Good for him. I hope he's happy. October 22nd, 1995, Lori married second husband William Lagoya in Travis County, Texas. The couple had a son, Colby, together the following year. February 25th, 1998, Lori and her second husband divorced. So marriage number two lasted less than three years, as did marriage number one. In 2001, Lori married third husband Joseph Ryan, but the exact date is unknown. September 24th, 2002, Tylee Ryan was born, and Joseph Ryan also adopted Colby. May 18th, 2005, Lori and Joseph divorced. February 24th, 2006, Lori married husband number four, Charles Vallow in Las Vegas, making that four marriages in under 14 years. On August 5th, 2007, Alex Cox was arrested for aggravated assault on Joseph Ryan. He had used a stun gun on him and threatened to kill him. July of 2014, Charles and Lori finalized the adoption of Charles's grandnephew, Joshua Jackson, or J.J. Vallow. The end of 2014, Charles and Lori moved to the Hawaiian island of Kauai with J.J. and Tylee. This was apparently a move on Lori's part to get Tylee away from her abusive father, Joseph Ryan. In 2015, according to a friend, Lori became obsessed with books written by Chad Daybell. In June of 2015, Chad and Tammy Daybell purchased a house in Salem, Idaho, after Chad claimed to have heard a voice telling him that he is supposed to move to Rexburg, which is about 10 miles away from Salem. In late 2016 or early 2017, the Vallos moved from Hawaii to Arizona. According to Lori, Hawaii did not have the resources necessary for JJ, who had special needs. On April 3, 2018, Lori's ex-husband, Joseph Ryan, died. His death was ruled due to a heart attack. Joseph's death has since become a part of the investigation into Lori, according to the FBI. His cause of death was based on his health history. He had been dead for three weeks before his badly decomposed body was discovered. In fall of 2018, Lori and her niece, Melanie Bourdreau, attended a 
preparing a people event where they met Chad for the first time. Lori and Chad would exchange emails and appear on podcasts together, and Chad briefly stayed at the Vallow's home in Arizona on one occasion. On January 22, 2019, Lori received an email from Chad with the subject line, Demon with the name Nick Schneider. This is the demon Lori would claim Charles Vallow was possessed with. On January 28, 2019, while Charles was on a business trip, Lori transferred $10,000 out of his business account into an unknown account and 2,000 enterprise points, which are car rental points, to her personal account. The next day on January 29, 2019, Lori transferred an additional $25,000 out of Charles's business account to an unknown account. Lori called Charles and told him that she was a god sent to carry out the work of the 144,000 at Christ's second coming and she would kill him if he got in her way. She further stated that Jesus was headed to earth in July of 2020. On January 30th, 2019, Lori called Charles to tell him that she planned to kill him when he returned home and that she was an angel waiting to dispose of his body. Lori repeatedly called Charles by the nickname Nick Schneider and told him that Nick had already killed him and taken his identity. Charles attempted to fly home only to find that Lori had canceled his flight. After buying a new ticket and landing in Arizona, Charles found his truck gone from the airport parking lot. When he finally made it home, Charles found an empty house. Lori had taken his son, his computers, and all of his clothing. On January 31, 2019, Charles petitioned Community Bridges Healthcare for a 72-hour hold and evaluation of Lori. Charles then went into Lori's car and took her purse and wallet. Lori went to the Gilbert Police Station to file a statement regarding the theft. Law enforcement talked to Lori and appeared to sympathize with her after she implied Charles was lying due to a marital dispute. At law enforcement's encouragement to explain the situation to the healthcare center, Lori checked herself in to Community Bridges and was discharged a few hours later. On February 8, 2019, Charles filed for divorce from Lori. His attorneys advised him to remove Lori as the beneficiary of his life insurance. Lori did not learn of this removal until after Charles's death. On February 10th, two days later, Lori vanished for 58 days, taking only Tylee with her, leaving JJ behind. Charles had no idea where she went, but it was later revealed that she spent part of this time in Hawaii. On March 6, 2019, divorce proceedings were dismissed at Charles's request. He decided that he wanted to try and make the marriage work after Lori came back from her two-month disappearance. In spring of 2019, Melanie Gibb, a co-host of Lori's podcast, overheard Lori calling Tylee a zombie when Tylee said she did not want to babysit JJ that Tylee had turned into a zombie around the age of 12 or 13 when she became difficult to deal with. In April of 2019, Charles sent a text to a friend saying that Lori had changed dramatically in the last six months, that it was the freakiest thing that he had ever experienced, that she's with a group of woke preparing people, and that an evil spirit named Nick Schneider murdered him and was using him to violate her. In June of 2019, Melanie Bordeaux unexpectedly demanded a divorce from Brandon Bordeaux. Melanie is 
Lori's niece. He was her husband of 11 years. According to Brandon, he said he believed that it was due to Melanie's new religious beliefs after following Lori and Chad into what he called a cult. On June 29, 2019, Charles Vallow reportedly discovered a letter Lori wrote and signed in his name to Chad asking Chad to come to Arizona. Court records from Maricopa County state that Charles confronted Lori about the letter and threatened to contact Tammy Daybell if Lori did not come clean about her relationship with Chad. After some time, Charles contacted Alex to discuss a possible intervention on her religious beliefs. On July 9, 2019, Lori reportedly learned that Charles was planning an intervention. On July 10th, Lori texted Alex that she needed him to stay close to me for a couple of days. On July 11th, Charles arrived at Lori's Chandler, Arizona home to pick up JJ. Home at the time were Lori, Tylee, JJ, and Lori's brother Alex. An altercation occurred, and Alex shot Charles twice in the chest, killing him. Alex claimed self-defense, and no charges were filed. Later that afternoon, Lori threw a pool party at the house that she shared with Charles. There was loud music and lots of people swimming in the pool. On July 18, 2019, Lori reportedly texts Chad about her Social Security benefits, telling him that she will receive about $4,000 a month. Within days of Charles's death, Lori called his life insurance carrier to file a claim, but learned she was no longer the beneficiary. Charles had changed it to a sister, Kay Woodcock, five months earlier. August 9, 2019, Lori placed JJ's service dog up for sale. The dog was later returned to the kennel from which it was purchased. The next day, August 10th, 2019, JJ's grandma, Kay, spoke to him for the last time via FaceTime for approximately 35 seconds. This would be the last contact she would ever have with him. On September 1st, 2019, Lori, Tylee, and JJ moved to Rexburg, Idaho. Tylee originally planned to stay in Arizona and move in with a friend, but decided that she did not want to leave JJ. Over the next two months, Lori's niece Melanie and her brother Alex also moved to Rexburg in the same townhouse complex. On September 8, 2019, Tylee was seen for the last time. Phone records indicate that Tylee, JJ, Lori, and Alex took a trip to Yellowstone National Park. Two photos, one from Lori's iCloud account and one from the National Park Service entrance, both show Tylee in Yellowstone on this day. There was never another confirmed sighting of Tylee Ryan ever again. September 9, 2019, Alex went to Lori's apartment around 3 a.m. Cell phone pings then placed him on Chad's property in the Daybell's Pet Cemetery. Chad's neighbor heard a gunshot. Chad texted a lengthy and oddly specific text message to his wife saying that he shot a raccoon and buried it in the pet cemetery. Tylee's body would later be found in this location. On September 19, 2019, Melanie Gibb, co-host of Lori's Religious Podcast, arrived at Lori's home in Rexburg, Idaho with her boyfriend David, visiting from Arizona. Shortly after arriving, Lori informed Melanie Gibb that JJ had become a zombie. 
On September 22, 2019, while Melanie Gibb and Lori were recording a podcast episode, Alex stopped by Lori's place. He was holding JJ, who appeared to be sleeping in his arms. This would be the last verifiable sighting of JJ alive ever again. On September 23, 2019, JJ was absent from school. When Melanie Gibbs' boyfriend asked where JJ was, Lori told him that he was acting like a zombie, so Alex took him. Around 10 a.m., cell phone pings placed Alex at the pond on Chad's property. JJ's body would later be found at this pond. On September 24th, Lori told JJ's school that he would not be returning. She initially said that JJ was staying with his grandmother before later saying that she planned on homeschooling him. Per Idaho law, the school was not required to make any further contact regarding JJ. On October 1st, 2019, Lori signed a contract with Self Storage Plus in Rexburg to rent a storage unit. Surveillance video showed Lori and Alex visited the unit a total of nine times in October and once in November. Items brought to the storage unit included gun casings, children's bicycles, and a variety of items belonging to JJ and Tylee. The next day, on October 2nd, 2019, a drive-by shooting attempt was made on Brandon Bordeaux in Gilbert, Arizona. Brandon did not see the driver. The drive-by vehicle was a Jeep registered to the deceased Charles Vallow. Also on this date, a wedding ring was ordered through Charles's Amazon account. Photos later show Lori wearing the ring in wedding pictures. Lori's browser history also showed someone looking at a wedding dress online around the same time. On October 9, 2019, a man wearing a ski mask appeared in the Daybell's driveway in Salem, Idaho, as Tammy was unloading groceries from her car. He pointed what she believed to be a paintball gun at her and pulled the trigger several times, but the weapon did not appear to be loaded, according to a Facebook post made by Tammy. Tammy tried several times to ask the man what he was doing, but he never spoke. Tammy yelled for Chad and the man ran away. She reported the incident to the Fremont County Sheriff's Office, whose investigators believed it was likely a prank and never found the man. Ten days later, on October 19th, Tammy was found dead in her home at the age of 49 by her husband, who then alerted one of their adult children who was elsewhere in the home at the time of her death. This was 17 days after the purchase of the wedding ring that was made on Amazon, Charles's Amazon, the same ring seen later on in the wedding pictures. Tammy's death was ruled due to natural causes. The family declined an autopsy. Tammy appeared to be in great health when her father and sister saw her two weeks earlier. Tammy's sister has also since said in interviews that Tammy was in near-perfect health. Tammy's father, Ron Douglas, said a grief-stricken Chad called him after Tammy died, saying she had gone to bed the night before with a terrible cough and never woke up. On October 22nd, three days later, Tammy Daybell was interred. On October 25th, 2019, a friend of Tylee's from Arizona received a text message from Tylee saying, Hi, miss you guys too, love ya. This text was in response to a text that the friend had sent days earlier on October 19th, 
saying she missed Tylee and had been thinking about her. The friend confirmed this text exchange and provided a screenshot to the media, but she had her doubts that Tylee was the one who wrote the response, stating she spelled out her words for the most part, plus she would have texted more if I had reached out. In late October of 2019, Chad received $430,000 in life insurance from Tammy's policy. In November of 2019, Lori and Chad repeatedly denied the existence of the children when speaking with acquaintances. Claims include that Tylee died in 2017 and that Lori had no minor children. On November 5th, 2019, Chad and Lori were married in Kauai. This was a little less than two months since the last time Tylee was seen, less than a month and a half since JJ was last seen, a little more than a month after a wedding ring was purchased on Charles Vallow's Amazon account, 16 days after Tammy was killed, and one week after Chad received the $430,000 in life insurance. Very convenient. On November 14, 2019, prior to the finalization of her divorce, police arrested Melanie Bordeaux for trespassing on Brandon Bordeaux's parents' property in American Fork, Utah. She was charged with criminal trespass and released the same day. In mid-November of 2019, Chad and Lori returned to Rexburg from their two-week-long Kauai honeymoon. And now we are getting to the day that we just about all started hearing about Lori and Chad and the missing children, JJ and Tylee. On November 26, 2019, police went to Lori and Chad's residence in Rexburg to conduct a welfare check on JJ at the request of his grandmother, Kay. Lori told police multiple different stories about the children being in Arizona with friends and relatives including that J.J. was in Arizona with her friend Melanie. Police contacted Melanie, but she at first did not answer. She later revealed that Chad Daybell instructed her to not answer when the Rexburg police called. He told her that the children were fine, but their whereabouts were being kept a secret for their own safety, but he did not elaborate. Police finally contacted Melanie, and she told him that J.J. was not with her, and she had not seen him since September 22, 2019. The next day, on November 27th, police returned to the home of Lori and Chad with a search warrant only to find that the couple had abruptly vacated their residence. Witnesses reported that Tylee and JJ were not with them. Two days later, on November 29th, Alex Cox and Zulema Pastenes were married in Las Vegas, and Alex took Zulema's last name. The following day, November 30th, Melanie Bordeaux and Ian Palowski were married in Las Vegas. Ian, a resident of Rexburg, divorced his previous wife four months earlier in July of 2019. On December 1st, 2019, Chad and Lori flew from Los Angeles to Kauai. On December 11th, 2019, law enforcement decided to further investigate the death of Tammy Daybell. Her body was exhumed and submitted for an autopsy. Police called her death suspicious. Her children later revealed in an interview with CBS's 48 Hours that they were told that their mother had died of asphyxiation. 
On December 12, 2019, Alex Cox died in Gilbert, Arizona. This was just 13 days after he got married. He was found unresponsive by his new wife's son. A medical examiner later ruled that his death was natural, citing blood clots in his lungs and high blood pressure. Again, very convenient. On December 20, 2019, Rexburg police announced the disappearance of Tylee and JJ and asked the public for assistance in locating them. Chad and Lori were not cooperating. They were never cooperative, and they never would be cooperative. On December 21st, police officially named Chad and Lori as persons of interest in the disappearance of Tylee and JJ. On December 23rd, Rexburg attorney Sean Bartholick issued a statement on Chad and Lori's behalf stating, Chad Daybell was a loving husband and has the support of his children in this matter. Lori Daybell is a devoted mother and resents the assertions to the contrary. We look forward to addressing the allegations once they have been moved beyond suspicion and rumor. Yeah, that didn't happen. On December 26, Preparing a People issued a statement denying that it is a cult. They say that they are a multimedia company focusing on video editing, that they have not had Chad Daybell as a speaker at an event since February of 2019, and that's because he was busy getting his own cult started with Lori, and that they were cooperating with investigators, and that they removed all of their podcast episodes featuring Chad and Lori. On December 30th, Rexburg police issued a statement stating that they strongly believe that Tylee and JJ's lives were in danger. They know the children are not with Chad and Lori. Despite their belief that Lori knew where they were or what had happened to them, she was completely and totally refusing to assist with the investigation and that she has chosen instead to leave the state of Idaho with her new husband. On January 3rd, 2020, law enforcement from the Fremont County Sheriff's Office, the Rexburg Police Department, and the FBI arrived at the Daybell property, the former home of Chad and Tammy, with a search warrant. They searched inside the house. They searched a shed and a barn. They used metal detectors to search the yard. Police later stated that more than 43 items were collected from the home, including computers, cell phones, journals, documents, and medications, all of which was submitted to their forensics teams for examination. On January 7th, JJ's grandparents held a press conference in Rexburg to announce a $20,000 reward for the children to be returned safely. They pleaded for the children to be returned. On January 25th, law enforcement tracked Chad and Lori down on the Hawaiian island of Kauai, where they were served with a court order obtained by the Madison County Prosecutor's Office that required Lori to physically produce Tylee and JJ to the Idaho Department of Welfare in Rexburg or to the Rexburg Police Department within five days of being served with the order. This is when Lori made her punch-in-the-face-worthy that's great statement to the reporter from Idaho that had been following the story from day one. On January 26, 2020, the Kauai Police Department served a search warrant on Chad and Lori's vehicle, and they towed it. On January 30th, Lori failed to comply with a court order and did not appear in front of Madison County authorities. 
On February 16th, in Pulowski, Lori's new nephew-in-law gave his ex-wife a computer. She would later find documents on it outlining Lori and Chad's beliefs. These include beliefs in zombie-like demonic possession, dark immortal beings working on the Rexburg police force, and spiritual rankings of one's libido. On February 20th, Lori is arrested in Princeville, Hawaii by the Kauai Police Department and charged with two counts of felony desertion of a child, as well as misdemeanor charges of resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime, and contempt. She was being held on $5 million bond pending extradition to Idaho. On February 21st, Lori appeared before a judge in Kauai and declared her intention to fight the extradition order. The judge denied her attorney's request to lower her bail. This was three weeks since Lori defied the court order to show the children. To me, this is just more privilege, as her ass should have been tossed in jail one second past the five days that she was given to comply. But anyway, I digress. February 26th. Lori waived her challenge to Idaho's extradition request. The judge instructs the prosecuting attorney to have Idaho authorities return Lori to Madison County as soon as possible. Lori's decision to waive comes immediately after her second request to lower her $5 million bail is denied. So to me, that kind of sounds like Lori was going to try to get her bail lowered. Remember, new hubby Chad is rolling around in his dead wife's blood money, I mean insurance money, and it was very likely that even if it was lowered to, say, $1 million, he would have been able to come up with a 10% to get Lori out, and if she had been bailed out, I bet anything that she and Chad would attempt to flee again. So since her request to lower the bail was denied, she gave up the fight against extradition, probably hoping that if she were more compliant, the bail would get lowered. Chad could get her out, and they would be able to flee. Nice try, Lori. February 29, 2020, Chad returned to the Rexburg area and to the home where he used to live with Tammy before she was asphyxiated to death. March 4th, Rexburg law enforcement took Lori into their custody and extradited her out of Hawaii. March 5th, Lori arrived at the Rexburg airport and was escorted to the Madison County Jail. March 6th, Lori appeared in the Madison County Court for the first time. The judge read Lori her charges and set the preliminary hearing for March 18th and 19th. The judge agreed to lower Lori's $5 million bail to $1 million at her attorney's request. March 13th, Lori had a hearing at which time another judge took over the case and two out of three of Lori's attorneys withdrew from her case. On April 10th, 2020, the Idaho Attorney General's office took over the Tammy Daybell case. They revealed that Chad and Lori were being investigated for murder, attempted murder, and conspiracy regarding the death of Tammy. May 1st, Lori was again denied a lower bail in court. And on June 9th, law enforcement and the FBI served a search warrant on Chad's property in Salem, Idaho. Two sets of human remains were found buried in the backyard. Chad was taken into custody for questioning and later arrested on two counts involving the concealment of human remains. 
The following day, on June 10th, the remains were positively identified as Tylee and JJ. On the same day, Chad had his first court hearing, at which time his bail was set at $1 million. On June 30th, 2020, Lori was charged with two felony counts of conspiracy to conceal evidence. July 22nd, 2020, the day came and went. It was the date that Chad and Lori believed that the world would end. On August 3rd, Chad's preliminary hearing began. On August 4th, his preliminary hearing concluded. The judge ruled that there is probable or sufficient evidence to believe that the defendant, Chad Daybell, committed the offenses he was accused of. His case was bound over to the district court for a jury trial. On August 7th, Lori waived her preliminary hearing and her case moved to the district court where she would also have a jury trial. On August 8th, Chad pleaded not guilty to all the charges. On September 1st, the state prosecutor on the case, Rob Wood, asked that Chad and Lori be tried jointly. On September 4th, Chad requested that the trial be relocated out of Fremont County. On September 9th, Chad objected to the joint trial with Lori. On September 10th, Lori pleaded not guilty and requested a jury trial after she was arraigned. On the 14th, the judge granted Lori's permission to wear street clothing during court proceedings. Lori's attorney filed documents stating that she had no objection to a joint trial with Chad. So she's apparently more ride or die than he is. On September 17th, Lori requested that the trial be relocated out of Fremont County. And from there, Chad and Lori would have various court dates that were set starting at the beginning of 2022, but all of those dates would be changed and postponed as the case evolved over time. On February 4th, 2021, a new prosecutor took over the case as murder charges were looming for both Chad and Lori in the death of Tammy Daybell. On March 22nd, 2021, Chad and Lori's cases were merged and both of their legal teams moved to have the charges against them dismissed and to obtain a change of venue. On May 25th, Lori and Chad were charged with the murders of Tammy Daybell, Tylee Ryan, and J.J. Vallow. On May 27th, Lori Vallow was deemed incompetent and unfit to stand trial. Her case was stayed. On June 29th, Lori Vallow was indicted by a grand jury in Arizona on the charge of conspiracy to murder Charles Vallow. On that same day, charges of conspiracy to destroy, alter, or conceal evidence against Chad and Lori are dropped. So I guess that's sort of a given when you get slapped with murder charges instead. On August 5th, the prosecutor announced that they would be seeking the death penalty against Chad. On August 6th, Lori was appointed a death penalty certified attorney as a co-counsel. On August 26th, Chad waived his right to a speedy trial. On August 30th, Lori was still found to be incompetent, but her status update was incomplete and another hearing was set. On September 8th, a judge found Lori to still be incompetent based on her progress report from the mental health facility. She was given another 180 days to attain competency. On October 8th of 2021, Chad's request for a change of venue was granted. On March 3rd, 2022, prosecutors announced that they will not file conspiracy to commit murder charges 
against Chad in the attempted shooting case of Brandon Bordeaux. On March 21st, the judge denied Chad's request to sever his case from Lori's. On April 11, 2022, the judge declared Lori competent to stand trial. She was released from the mental health facility and sent back to the county jail. On April 19, 2022, Lori was arraigned on the following charges. First-degree murder in the death of Tylee Ryan. First-degree murder in the death of J.J. Vallow. First-degree murder in the death of Tammy Daybell. Conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception in the death of Tylee Ryan, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception in the death of J.J. Vallow, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder in the death of Tammy Daybell, and grand theft related to Social Security benefits over $1,000 allocated for the care of minors Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow that were appropriated after the children were missing and ultimately found deceased. On April 28th, the judge denied Chad's request to have the charges against him dropped. On May 2nd, the prosecution announced that they will seek the death penalty against Lori Vallow. On May 4th, Lori is declared as being qualified for the death penalty due to the financial motivation nature of the crime. On May 26, 2022, the start of Lori's trial date was changed from October 11th to January 9th, 2023 to ensure that she and Chad would be tried together. And finally, on July 15th, 2022, the most recent move made in court is that Lori's attorney asked the judge to send her case back to the grand jury because the language of the charges was considered confusing. Okay, so let's get to the reasons why I decided to bring about this story today. The Daybell Children the five adult children Chad and Tammy Daybell raised. They gave an interview recently to CBS's investigative show 48 Hours. It came out on their podcast in July and I just listened to it last week and I have thoughts. You may or may not agree. Maybe I'm being a shitty person for doing this, but I can't help myself. I want to go through some key elements of their interview and share what I think out loud. So here we go. As the story of the murders of J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan gripped the world, the children on the other side of this dreadful union between their parents, Lori and Chad, had finally broken their silence. To me, with it having now been more than two years since their father was arrested after the burned, mutilated, and desecrated bodies of J.J. and Tylee were found in the backyard of their father's property, They've had the chance to carefully craft their interpretations, measure their responses, and to basically have an answer for everything. Let's break down what the Daybell children had to say. Their father needs someone to be a voice for him. That's what they said at the top of this. Yeah. How many questions did we hear get asked of Chad and Lori? since the day the world learned who Tylee and JJ were. I remember hoping and wishing to see those children would somehow, someway reappear and all would be well. We all did. All of us watched this nightmare unfold right before our eyes, while Chad and Lori remained silent, with the exception of those two words. That's great. The Daybell children kept their silence too. 
which is fine. They have the right to do that. But their father had a voice. Chad Dable had a voice, and he chose not to use it then, and he's choosing not to use it now. The man is a published author. He was hosting a podcast. He was a guest speaker at all these people prepping events. Chad Daybell is not a man who needs someone to be his voice. Not then and certainly not now. The time to speak has passed. And that was a time when the world was desperate to know where the children were at. That is when voices needed to be heard. But okay, Chad Daybell needs someone to be his voice. Right. The Daybell children are absolutely sure, 1,000% without a shred of doubt in the world that their father is innocent. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. As sure as their mother, JJ and Tylee are dead, Chad Daybell is an innocent man. The leg that the five of them stand on is that they know. They know what's real. They know the truth. They know their father. Well, I hate to break it to them, but if everybody knew everybody else as well as they thought they did, we'd have a whole lot less murders in this world. Every single person who has ever been murdered by a spouse or an intimate partner or a loved one, a family member, a parent, a child, every single one of them knew their killer better than anybody else on the planet. So they thought. Yeah, they knew their dad. I certainly didn't know him, but I know what he did. We all do. And there aren't enough Fathers of the Year awards in the world that can ever change that. I don't know him, but I know what he did. Everything else is just excuses. The Daybell children would say that until the day authorities dug up the dead bodies of Tylee and JJ from their father's backyard, that they all were just a normal, average, everyday Mormon family. Yeah, their dad was a grave digger who dropped everything and moved his whole family from Utah to Idaho because voices told him to, who wrote books about the end of times and his near-death experiences when he crossed into other dimensions, who got married 16 days after his wife of almost 30 years suddenly dropped dead to a woman that he had known for about a year after her husband was also suddenly dead by way of being gunned down by her brother only four months before marrying their father. I mean, those aren't necessarily abnormal things to be doing or happening, I guess. I mean, what's normal these days anyway, right? Unless everybody around you starts dropping dead under suspicious circumstances. Their father is scheduled to stand trial this upcoming January of 2023 alongside their stepmother for the murders of her two children and their own mother. But according to the Daybell children, it's simply not possible. Stating that anyone who says their dad could kill a person doesn't know their dad. Well, there are plenty of people that we have talked about on this podcast, hundreds and thousands of people that have been talked about across all sorts of media outlets that have killed people and we don't know them either. We don't have to know them to know what they did. If I woke up one day and found out that authorities dug up two bodies in my dad's backyard, I'm pretty sure one of my first thoughts would be like, wow, I thought I knew the guy. That's crazy. Who does that? Wow, dad, you're fucked with a capital F. 
So then we're told by the Daybell children in this interview that people have interpreted what has happened the way that they have. And if they were us, they would probably do the same. Well, yeah, we the people have pretty much come to a consensus based on what we know to be fact and what we know to be true. Who Chad Daybell was to them is probably not the same person who murdered their mother, Tylee and JJ. And you know what else? Ted Bundy wasn't the same person answering desperate phone calls on a suicide hotline as the same monster who clocked out of work to go hunt women to abduct, kill, mutilate, decapitate, and commit acts of necrophilia on either. Chad Daybell clearly had a plan with Lori that did not include them, Tammy, Charles, Tylee, or JJ. Chad's not going to go around telling them that, though. That would have destroyed that facade that he had created. That facade that his children continue to cling to. That they're the normal, average, everyday Mormon family. Of course, the Daybell children have come to blame Lori for everything that has happened to their father. And that's fine. She was most certainly one of the most glaring reasons why so many people are dead today. And she is definitely one of the biggest reasons why their father is sitting in the county jail staring at the death penalty. However, Lori Vallow is only 50% of the equation here. Chad Daybell is the other 50%. Together, they are both 100% responsible for every single thing that has happened. Chad is the one who won Lori over by exalting her as this divine being, praising her, worshipping her, telling her that she's a god, that she's the chosen one. He did that because he wanted to get with her, plain and simple. She's pretty and bubbly and smart, a shiny, new, exciting woman that waltzed into his life after 30 years of the same old, same old with his wife, Tammy. I don't know Tammy, but in pictures, she is certainly as beautiful, if not more so, than Lori. Very well put together. She clearly raised five wonderful children and was enjoying grandmotherhood. But marriages grow stale. It happens all the time, and people move on to the next. Most people divorce. Psychopaths like Lori and Chad choose murder. It's not the first time this has happened, and it certainly won't be the last. And Chad Daybell is 100% responsible for his own actions. Lori is not to blame for the choices that he made. He has written many books. He was a sought-after speaker at those doomsday club meetings. He did not strike me as a weak-minded individual. But he definitely went cuckoo for Cocoa Pops when he met Lori. He started thinking, feeling, acting, and behaving based on other parts of his body aside from his brain. And just because he became infatuated and enamored with Lori, it does not lessen his ability to think for himself or act within the confines of his own free will. Tammy Daybell is dead because he did that. And JJ and Tylee ended up in his backyard because he either did it, allowed it, or conspired along with it. Nobody has ever been buried in somebody's backyard without the person who lived in the home attached to that backyard knowing about it or having a hand in it. And when it comes to Tylee and JJ ending up in his backyard, I will never be convinced that Chad Daybell was not in on it or in the know about it. His children say that none of this would have ever happened to their family if Lori Vallow never came into their father's life. They're not wrong, but she did. And it did happen. And 
Their dad was there for it. And frankly, blaming Lori just isn't going to fly in court. That's why it's called conspiracy. If Lori came up to Chad one day and she like batted her eyelashes and said, Hey babe, let's kill my kids today. And Chad was like, oh, duh, okay. And just went along with it. He's just as guilty. None of this she manipulated me into it bullshit. The normal, average, everyday Mormon guy would not be manipulated into murder. The normal, average, everyday Mormon guy would run the other way. Chad Daybell is also 100% responsible for their mother being dead today too. Lori might be charged with conspiracy in that case, but she wasn't there. She for sure knew about it. She probably took part in the planning. But even if she and Chad had that conversation, I'll kill mine if you kill yours. No, you kill yours first. No, you kill yours first. Okay, I'll kill mine first. She didn't actually physically have a hand in the killing of Tammy. She probably was there in divine spirit or whatever, but Chad, he did that with his own hands. I do not think Lori had a physical hand in the killing of her children either, just like she didn't with Charles. But she definitely laid the groundwork. She made sure all the players were in the right place at just the right time as she had her brother Alex and her soon-to-be husband number five do all the dirty work. Chad's kids said that their dad meeting Lori and marrying her was the worst mistake of his life. All I have to say is at least they are still here on earth to make that assessment. Who do they think paid the highest price for the worst mistake of Chad Daybell's life? Chad and Tammy may have started out as your average, everyday Mormon couple who would go on to raise five children. But those who knew the couple say that as the years progressed, Chad's religious views became much more extreme as he began seizing upon what's referred to as this prepper element within the Mormon set of beliefs, the desire to prepare for Armageddon. The idea of the end of the world has historically been a part of Mormon scripture, but that has shifted over time when it comes to whether or not they decide to prophesize about it the way that it has been in the past. It just wasn't conducive to the kind of environment that builds strong relationships with other communities, with the government, and America if the Mormons kept predicting the end of the world and the destruction of the country. So LDS leaders began encouraging those who did have dreams or visions or prophecies about the apocalypse, that it would just be best to keep the discussion of it amongst only close family and friends, to discourage them from publishing anything about it, and to just assume that it's something that must be shared with everyone. That's exactly what Chad Daybell was trying to do, and it is considered to be on the extreme spectrum of things when it comes to the beliefs within the Mormon church and they are currently trending away from that. It was sometime in 2017 when Lori began reading Chad's books as she was shifting away from her family and children towards the doomsday prepper people. Chad's writings were all about Armageddon and the destruction of the world, and he focused sharply on those who wanted to be ready for it. There would be 144,000 of them 
who needed to congregate in Rexburg, Idaho, when the end of the world arrived. The 144,000 were those who were chosen to survive. Lori bought into it and suddenly her whole world became about herself. And she found excuses and reasons why Charles, Tylee, and JJ were not to be a part of the 144,000. But the bottom line is beyond that, they were just inconvenient and in the way. Lori was a narcissist long before we ever got to know her name. After all, she is a Lori with an I, right? She changed husbands like she changed outfits. And each marriage did seem to last a little bit longer than the one before it, but not by much. However, her marriage to Charles did last the longest by far. 2006, technically until he died in 2019. Charles clearly loved this woman. He even took her back and dropped his divorce proceedings after she abandoned him and JJ for two months. She stayed with him because he worshipped her. She stayed with him until she found a man who would worship her more, bigger, and better. And that would be Chad. Charles worshipped the ground she walked on. Chad told her she was a god. That's some next level stuff right there, and she wanted it. And she would step on everybody, squash them into the ground like they were bugs in order to clear the best, easiest, and most profitable path for her to get there. She had already gone through hell and back in a years-long, messy, contentious, knock-down, drag-out divorce with husband number three, Joseph Ryan. And when he died, she made a good chunk of money along with that, $75,000 to be exact. Then she got Social Security for Tylee. And then she and Charles adopted JJ and they got Social Security for him too. And Charles also made good money. Lori didn't have to work. She could sit around her house reading Chad's crazy-ass religious books and frolic around in her dancing room all day long and not have to worry about a thing. It had all come so easy to her. But what would a divorce from Charles look like? He was the breadwinner. She would lose that money. JJ was his grandnephew. She would lose that money too. Tylee was only a couple of years away from turning 18. She would lose that money also. And then there's Chad, the gravedigger, the religious zealot, an author and podcaster, married to an elementary school librarian. The Daybells seem to have a comfortable, modest life together. Tammy and Chad. Lori had her money on her mind and her mind on her money, and I don't think she liked the answer that she was getting when she did the math if she and Chad were to divorce their respective spouses. When she crunched the numbers, you kill your wife plus, I kill my husband plus, your marital assets plus, my marital assets plus, your wife's life insurance plus, my husband's life insurance plus, JJ's social security plus, Tylee's social security equals, they get to start a cult and Lori gets to keep her dancing room. <sighs> a dancing room. What the spoiled ass rich people who don't work in the hell is that? Oh, that just gets me mad. She gets this dancing room while her kids get burned, mutilated, disarticulated, and dumped into a pet cemetery. I bet the dancing room in the county jail is real tight with her three hots and a cot. 
Not a whole lot of room to salsa dance or to samba or foxtrot, I'm sure. So Lori and Chad had this shared devotion for one another that developed after Lori became a Chad superfan. After she actually got to meet him and talk to him, it was like everything changed from there for the both of them forever. He had already been talking about his extreme religious beliefs and evil dark spirits and zombies. And when Lori came around, she became a focal point of his teachings. Aside from himself, of course, because he's just as narcissistic as she is. Chad already believed that he was the chosen one sent to Earth to carry out God's mission. Lori became his side piece, also chosen out to carry his mission, Chad's, not God's. And not just in this life, but numerous previous lives as well. Lori came to believe that she was the one who was chosen to lead the 144,000 survivors after the end of days. That she was the one who was going to be the leader of the human race as they headed for eternal life while the rest of the world burned to hell. She also believed as a part of her role was to rid the earth of anything she deemed to be evil and demonic. And she told people included in that were Charles, Tylee, JJ, and apparently Oprah. I don't know what Lori's beef with Oprah was, but her beef with Charles, Tylee, and JJ is that they were problematic. She told people Charles was a terrible husband, that Tylee was a mouthy teenager, and JJ probably just simply annoyed her. That was her benchmark for deeming them all evil, that they all annoyed her on varying levels. Charles Vallow sounded the alarm. He did that. He called the police when he couldn't get into his house when he returned from his business trip in January of 2019. He told them that Lori said that he was no longer Charles, that she didn't know who he was, that she was this resurrected being and a god, and that he was worried about his safety and his children's safety, and that she was a danger to herself and to others and that she had threatened to murder him. The word that Charles used on the police body cam was destroy, that Lori threatened to destroy him, but Charles was told by police that that wasn't a threat. Charles told the officer that Lori had become unhinged, that she was scaring the crap out of him. By the time Charles was shot to death, he had gone to the police twice, telling them that there was something really wrong with his wife. He described her as psychologically gone, that something has happened to her. He requested a 72-hour psychiatric hold to be placed on her. The police visited Lori. All of that was captured on body cam too. She seemed as lovely and normal as every other average suburban housewife. And while the police didn't think that there was anything wrong with her, they did suggest that she go ahead and check herself into the mental health center which she did, and she was found to be just fine and released a few hours later. All of Charles's desperate warnings about his wife were ignored, and then on July 11, 2019, he was gunned down by his brother-in-law, Alex, who claimed that Charles was threatening him and Lori, and that the argument escalated, that Tylee went into her room and retrieved a bat, a claim that Tylee corroborated. Alex then claimed that he went and retrieved his gun and he said that Charles hit him in the head with a bat, at which point he answered back with two bullets 
straight into Charles's chest, killing him. Lori left the scene with Tylee in order to take JJ to school. And it was during this car ride that I believe Lori had the chance to coach Tylee on what to say because she knew that they would be questioned separately when they got back. At the same time, Alex did not call 911 until 43 minutes after he shot Charles. It was during this time, I believe he was on the phone with Lori, also making sure that their stories added up. And together, with their three corroborating accounts, they managed to get away with killing Charles by claiming self-defense. After all, she's the average, normal, everyday suburban housewife. Like, hi neighbors, sorry. Yeah, sorry to disturb this quiet little neighborhood with this inconvenient little ambush and murder. Ha ha. Yeah, Lori, with an eye, you're just hilarious. On September 1st, 2019, Lori moved a few minutes away from Tammy and Chad Daybell to Rexburg, Idaho, as did Alex and Lori's niece, Melanie Bordeaux. But Lori's problems followed her there, and those problems were known as Tylee and JJ. Neither one of them would live to see October. Tylee had to go first. Lori knew that she couldn't get away with killing JJ first with Tylee around. JJ followed his sister in death shortly thereafter. When his body was found, he was wearing the same pajamas that he had on the last time anyone was able to have confirmed seeing him alive. And I'm not even really convinced that when Alex Cox carried JJ past Melanie Gibb and her boyfriend David, that JJ was even alive. They never saw him the following morning. He was supposed to have gone to school. Nobody ever saw him again until he was brought out of Chad Daybell's backyard. As for Chad, Chad was not without a problem of his own, and his problem was named Tammy. She would not live to see November. The Daybell children have said, since the day their mom has died, it has been nothing but sadness with their family broken forever. It was just about a month after Tylee and JJ were murdered, two months before JJ's grandma raised the alarm, that their father quietly murdered their mother right under their noses. And like Alex and Lori before him, he somehow managed to slip past law enforcement. All of them were able to get away with murder. Chad's son Garth said that he was asleep in his room when he heard a thump and suddenly his father began yelling for him. When the medical examiner arrived at their home, they were told that it looked like Tammy had died of natural causes. The Daybell children say, yeah, but their mother was in terribly poor health, so they believed that that was her cause of death. But that's not what Tammy's sister has said, and her father. Her sister told Dateline that Tammy was in perfect health and the best health of her life. And Tammy's sister had said this long before Tammy's children came forward with their assessment of their mother's health. The Daybell children also publicly took responsibility for there being no autopsy performed on Tammy. They said the decision was theirs, not their father's, but to be honest, I do not believe that. The decision, first of all, is up to the spouse. Chad may have conferred with his children, but I have no doubt that he had and has a very strong influence over all of them, and ultimately the autopsy was not performed. 
At the same time, I believe it was a huge mistake on the part of the medical examiner and for law enforcement to not insist that there be an autopsy. With the death of a relatively young, healthy woman, she was only 49 years old, I think an autopsy should have been ordered. I also want to point out that one of the Daybell children, Leah, said through tears in the interview with CBS, It's just so heartbreaking. It seemed so unfathomable that it could have happened. To me, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. When in one breath they say their mom was in such poor health that they believe the medical examiner made the determination just by looking at Tammy while she was still inside the house that she had died of natural causes. And then in the next breath, for them to say that it was so unfathomable, how could it have happened? I mean, which is it? Is it, meh, it's not surprising that she just dropped dead just like that because she was in such horrible health that we don't even need an autopsy to tell us anything? Or is it so unfathomable that perhaps we need an autopsy so we can understand how something like this could have happened? It can't be both ways. Either they were unsurprised or it was unimaginable. It can't be both, yet they said it in their interview. Statements made within seconds of each other. Okay, so the Daybell kids have said what they have to say about their father, his innocence, the death of their mother. They've taken responsibility for no autopsy being performed on her. But what about Lori? What say them about her? Tammy's body was barely even cold before their dad had cashed in on her death, hopped on a plane to Hawaii, tied the knot with a very ring that Lori bought on her dead husband's Amazon account before their mom was dead, that their dad had slipped onto Lori's finger as they said their I do's, and then spent the next two weeks dancing around on the white sands of Kauai, strumming a ukulele. His five children just lost their 49-year-old mother, but there goes Chad off to paradise without a flippin' care in the world. His children really knew him, huh? When they were asked how they processed that, they said that it was hard and that they were surprised by it. Then they followed that with, yeah, but they could see that their dad already had an emotional connection with Lori. The wrong word used in that statement is the word already. He didn't already have an emotional connection with Lori. He had been connecting with her for more than a year by the time they got married. This wasn't something that developed in the 17 days or 16 days between their mother's murder and their dad's marriage to Lori. This was a connection that was more than a year in the making. Beyond that, the Daybell children also insist that their father never had anything more than an emotional affair with Lori. And even though I could never prove it, there is no way that I would ever believe that two people who are capable of murdering children draw the line at having an extramarital affair. Chad Daybell is a cowardly, garbage human being. There is no way he will ever admit to his children that he was screwing around on their mom. We are talking about a man here who is willing to manipulate his own children into potentially perjuring themselves if and when it comes time for them to testify at his murder trial. 
Also, he can try and be the one coming out the other end of this, smelling like roses. Especially if any of them get up there and assert that they were the ones who insisted that no autopsy be performed on their mother. Or if they get up there and say that their mom was in such poor health that she practically had one foot in the grave in the days and weeks leading up to her death. And if the prosecution is able to come back and refute that with testimony and proof that Tammy was the poster child for good health and healthy living. They want to believe so much in their dad that not only are they willing to throw themselves under the bus for him, they're willing to forsake their mother while doing it. Their father is facing trial for her murder come January 2023, unless there are more delays. The district attorney's office and the grand jury felt as if there was enough evidence to prove murder. Tammy is the one who was dead, buried, exhumed, and buried again. Yet, Chad somehow is the one who apparently needs a voice. And all five of them are willing to give it to him. Chad is a man who still has his voice. What about the woman who's six feet under? Who's here on earth to be her voice? Not her children, apparently. In that whole interview with CBS... The only thing that the Daybell children believe Chad is guilty of is being socially inappropriate. They were asked if they ever considered the possibility that their father killed their mother in order to clear the way to marry Lori, and they all said no. They were further challenged by having it pointed out that common sense would seem to dictate otherwise that there are many things surrounding this case that would suggest that's the motive behind Tammy's sudden quote-unquote passing. Yeah, but they insist there was no murder, there was no motive to murder, there was no plot to murder. All of this was just a socially inappropriate choice. 21 days after Lori and Chad socially inappropriately said I do in Kauai, they were back in Idaho prepping for the end of the world when the police came looking for J.J. Vallow at the behest of his grandmother, Kay Woodcock. Lori Vallow is the stupidest human being on the planet if she thought nobody was going to question the whereabouts of her children. And that's because she had been able to get away with murder, literally as did Chad. The both of them were so confident since they had gotten away with killing Charles and Tammy that they had no problem thinking about getting away with the murders of Tylee and JJ too. But we know how all of that unraveled. Lori was only going to be able to charm and giggle her way out of things for so long before police finally smelled a socially inappropriate rat. Lori lied to the police and said J.J. was in Arizona with her friend Melanie. By the time police fact-checked that and came back to Lori's house, she and Chad were gone. They ran straight back to Hawaii. Soon, the news that had begun trickling out of the state of Idaho was now making its way around the world. Everybody was asking one question that Lori Vallow refused to answer. Where are your children? The state of Idaho issued a court order for Lori to show the children within five days. 
and I clearly remember waiting along with the rest of you, hoping that she would bring them forward, but deep down, I was thinking the worst, and then we just had to wait. She was thrown in jail. Chad was out and about doing whatever Chad does, prepping for doomsday, digging graves, murdering people, whatever. And, oh, how well did the Daybell children know their dad? Well, I seriously doubt he told them that he was running off to Hawaii to get married to Lori. They probably found out when the rest of us did. But the one thing that I know they didn't know about was the fact that they had two new step-siblings, a 16-year-old named Tylee and a 7-year-old named JJ. Nope, they had no idea they existed. Oh wait, my bad. That's because the children were dead before their dad married Lori. That's right. Technically, their dad never had any stepchildren. They never had a stepbrother or a stepsister. They'd already been tossed into the ground with the dead pets, vermin, and varmints in their dad's backyard. The difference is, is that the pets, vermin, and varmints were probably given a more dignified send-off than JJ and Tylee were. And since we're here giving Chad Daybell a voice, why don't we help him tell everyone exactly what he and Lori and Alex did to those two children? I mean, if we're going to tell his story for him, we might as well tell it all. So Chad... Socially inappropriate Chad had the bodies of both Tylee and JJ buried on his property. Tylee was near a fire pit, JJ was near a pond, and none of these things were very far away from one another. It's all situated behind what looks like a barn on a parcel of land. It's flat, it's wide open. There's not much else surrounding the burial sites other than a couple of trees. JJ's body would have been wrapped in plastic and duct tape. Tylee was burned and dismembered. The last known photos taken of Tylee were at Yellowstone National Park on September 8, 2019. Lori's friend Melanie Gibb and her boyfriend David Warwick visited Lori in Idaho from September 19th through the 23rd, but they never saw Tylee. Lori told them that Tylee was attending school at BYU in Idaho. Lori's brother Alex resided in the same townhouse complex that Lori did. When investigators looked at Alex's cell phone records, they compared his movements and activities around the last time Tylee was seen alive to the other days of the month. According to the EastIdahoNews.com, on Monday, September 9th from 12 a.m. to 12.44 a.m., Alex and his phone were located at his townhouse. However, from 2.42 a.m. to 3.37 a.m., Alex and his phone were located at Lori's townhouse, where she resided with Tylee and JJ. The reason why this is important is because not only is he there in the middle of the night, it's the only time in the month of September that he was at Lori's house between midnight and 6 a.m. Alex returned to his townhouse at 4.37 a.m. Then at 9.21 a.m., Alex and his phone were located at Chad Daybell's property. GPS data points placed him near the east end of the barn and he was still at the property more than an hour later at 10.30 a.m. The fire pit was located at the east end of the barn, as was Tylee's burial site. At 10.47 a.m., Alex's phone pinged in the city of St. Anthony, though it was unclear if he was within the city limits of St. Anthony or if this was a cell tower ping that happened while he was still on the Daybell property. Then from 10.57 a.m., to 11.39 a.m., 
Alex and his phone are located at the Daybell property. And then from 11.52 a.m. to 12.02 p.m., Alex and his phone were at a Rexburg Del Taco because burning bodies and digging graves works up an appetite. From there, Alex appeared to be at his townhouse for the remainder of the day. That same day, Chad and Tammy had this text message conversation. Chad to Tammy at 11.53 a.m. And remember, Alex arrived at Del Taco one minute prior to this text message being sent. Well, I've had an interesting morning, exclamation point. I felt I should burn all of the limb debris by the fire pit before it got too soaked by the coming storms. While I did so, I spotted a big raccoon along the fence. I hurried and got my gun, and he was still walking along. I got close enough that one shot did the trick. He is now in our pet cemetery. Fun times! Exclamation point. Dreamers, let me translate that text message for you. Because this is what Chad meant to say. Well, I've had a murdery morning, exclamation point. I felt I should burn the body and limbs of my soon-to-be new wife's daughter before anybody sees what I'm really doing. While I did so, I noticed that she was a big obstacle in the way of me wanting to start my new life with her mom, so I got my gun and one shot did the trick. She's now in our pet cemetery. Fun times. Three minutes later, Chad sent Tammy this text message. Gonna shower now, then go right for a while at BYU. Love you. Tammy replied more than three hours later at 2.47 p.m. Good for you. Translation, why the F are you texting me this? One minute later, Chad texted, I'm back home now, and Tammy did not reply. When the search warrant for Chad's property was served on June 9, 2020, the area around this pet cemetery and the fire pit was probed with a steel pole. Several areas of disturbed ground were located. Dog and cat remains were found. A backhoe was used to dig further layers of dirt. The dirt in this area was searched and several other items of interest were found, including bones, charred tissue, and charred bones. A Boise State University anthropologist who was on site indicated that these additional bones, both charred and uncharred, and the tissue were human. As for seven-year-old JJ, Lori withdrew him from his elementary school in Rexburg on September 24th and told them of her intentions to homeschool him. JJ had already missed two days of classes and the Rexburg police later stated that there was no indication that the process of homeschooling had ever been initiated, nor were there any signs of homeschooling taking place at the home. The last time anyone saw JJ was on the evening of September 22, 2019, two days before Lori withdrew him from school. Melanie Gibb and David Warwick were visiting Lori at the time. David said it was late in the evening and he was going to record a podcast with Melanie and Lori. He said JJ was acting up so Alex took him over to his townhouse while they recorded. When Alex brought him back later that night, he was carrying JJ, who appeared to be asleep with his head on Alex's shoulder. The next morning, between 8 and 9 a.m., David asked Lori where JJ was, 
She told him that he was climbing all over the cabinets and had knocked down a picture of Jesus that was on the fridge. So Alex came and took JJ again. Alex's cell phone movements were analyzed once again by the FBI for the morning of September 23rd, the morning after the last time JJ was seen by Melanie and David. Alex was at the Daybell property from 9.55 a.m. until 10.12 a.m., only 17 minutes this time, near the pond. This area was also searched when the warrant was served on June 9, 2020. Members of the FBI removed a top layer of sod. Underneath a layer of sod were several flat rocks. The rocks were removed and two pieces of flat paneling were found. The paneling was removed and investigators exposed a round object covered in black plastic. Upon exposing the round object covered in plastic, a strong odor was noticed. An FBI member used a small sharp instrument and made an incision in the plastic and a layer of white plastic was observed. An incision was made into the layer of white plastic, exposing what appeared to be human remains, the crown of a head covered in light brown hair. JJ's body was wrapped in tight black plastic and secured pretty much from top to bottom with gray duct tape. So, the Daybell children, one of their daughters was living across the street. Chad while this search was going on in his backyard, was parked for a while in his own driveway. Then he went and parked across the street at his daughter's house. While he was waiting, he received a jailhouse phone call from Lori. Some of it is unintelligible. I'll tell you what it says, but I will play it for you now. We call from and help Pray. What? what do you want me to do? Yeah, pray. 
So in this phone call, Lori starts off by saying, Hi, babe. And Chad replies, Hello. Are you okay? No, they're searching the property. The house right now? Yeah, yeah, not the house. So Mark, her attorney, will be talking to you. And then Lori says, Okay, what? Are they in the house? And Chad says, No, they're out in the property. Are they seizing stuff again? They're searching. There's a search warrant, so there's something unintelligible with the kids. Okay. So yeah, I saw you tried to pull up a call. I'm glad you called. She replies, yeah. And then Chad says, so we'll see what transpires. Lori says, okay. Then Chad says something unintelligible, and Lori replies, what do you want me to do, pray? Chad says, what? Lori says, do you want me to? And he says, no, I'm sorry. And then Lori laughs. Chad says, well, then it's followed by something unintelligible again. Lori says, "Mm okay, what can I do for you? Chad replies, I'm pretty calm. I would call Mark, though. We need, can you just talk with him? Lori replied, have you talked to him already? Chad says, I've tried to call him. Lori replies, so he knows what they're doing? Yeah, looks like I've got a call from somebody else who I need to talk to, honey. I love you so much. Lori replies, okay, I love you. Should I try to call later? And Chad says, um, I don't know. I don't know. You can try. Yeah, I'll answer if I can. Lori says, okay. Chad says, I love you and we'll talk soon. Lori says, okay, baby, I love you. And then Chad says, okay, love you. Goodbye. I'm sorry, but this is not the tone and demeanor of an innocent man whose property is being dug up by the FBI who are looking for dead bodies. That is the tone and demeanor of a man who knows that the two dead bodies that are buried on his land are about to be dug up. He knows that he's not going to be able to answer Lori's next phone call. 
and he was resigned enough to his fate to know that his last word to Lori had to be goodbye. Those are the words of a man who knew that he was going down. Tylee's body was recovered first, and when JJ's body was recovered a little while later, Chad began driving away, but he was pulled over and arrested a short distance from his home. So with the deaths of Charles, Tylee, JJ, and Tammy in his wake, Chad Daybell is apparently the one who needs a voice. When his children were asked about the buildup to all of this, as the pressure was mounting for their father and his new wife to produce Tylee and JJ, did they ever say to their dad, just bring the kids, show them? His children said they did, but all Chad would do is lie to their faces and say that they weren't able to do that for their own safety. Then Chad's children were asked a follow-up question. What were they afraid of? What was making JJ unsafe? The Daybell children said that they don't know. But we, you and I, dreamers, we know the truth now. The thing that was making JJ and Tylee, for that matter, unsafe was JJ and Tylee's mother, Lori, and their father, Chad. That's the answer. That's the only answer. There was nothing else making them unsafe, just them. Chad Daybell lied to his kids over and over and over again, yet they need to be his voice for truth. The Daybell kids were asked about why they didn't challenge their father. Why didn't they say something really bad is happening here? This woman he's married to has two missing kids and everybody in the world is worried about them except for her and their father, her new husband. We need to know what is happening. And the answer is just another, yeah, but. Yeah, but we trusted our father. So Chad says, nothing's going on here. Nothing to see here. Just move along. And his kids just trust it. Or they wanted to trust him badly enough to not look any further. In their interview, the Daybell kids came across as somewhat put off, possibly even offended that authorities made the decision to exhume their mother's body in order to give her an autopsy. Beyond just the guesstimate that the medical examiner at the scene of her death in her bedroom gave, they said that it was one of the hardest things that they'd ever gone through. I imagine that it is difficult. The thought of the exhumation of a loved one is like having to relive their death all over again. She's died. They grieved. They buried her. And then they began working on healing and all of a sudden, investigators want to take her out of the ground because they think their father may have murdered her. Nobody wants that to ever happen. But I'm also fairly certain that nobody wants a killer getting away with murder either. If there's a chance that their mother was murdered, then they are the five people who should be at the top of the list who absolutely stand behind that decision. They want to be Chad Daybell's voice, but only if what needs to be said is what they want to hear. I don't understand why they don't feel as equally passionate about their mother and her voice. I just don't get it, especially now 
since they've been told this one single detail of their mother's death, that she was asphyxiated. She had her voice taken from her while she was dying, and her voice continues to be stifled in death too, because everybody's giving a voice to the man who was the only other person in the room with her when she was dying by asphyxiation. When Chad was arrested, his daughter Emma was told that human remains were found on her father's property. While he was handcuffed, she was standing near the police vehicle and he was sitting inside of it. Chad asked his daughter, do you know why I'm being arrested? Her first thought was, how does he not know? Then she told him that they found human remains. After that, she described Chad as having his face drained of all of its color. His eyes opened wide and he went into this state of shock. She believed Chad's little act, that he had no idea why he was getting arrested until she told him that it was because of two bodies being buried in his backyard. The Daybell children were asked if they ever questioned Chad's innocence. No, absolutely not. Not their father. It's all about what they know him to be as a man and what they know him to be as their father. If Chad didn't kill JJ and Tylee, then how were their bodies buried in his backyard? And his daughter, Emma, said this. I don't know why they would be there, but I do know that if he were to commit a crime, he would not be foolish enough to put evidence in his own backyard. Okay, for us, those of us who listen to crimes and all these stories about criminals, we already know that there are plenty of them who are very much that foolish to do these types of things. We are all very, very smart and capable individuals in our day-to-day lives. But can we even know what it's like to have the kinds of adrenaline and stress and anxiety and pressure put upon us when one commits murder? Especially a violent one that involves killing and dismembering and burning and burying. Are we going to be at the top of our game mentally and emotionally to not do anything foolish and to not make any missteps or bad judgment calls? Chad Daybell was foolish enough to put evidence in his own backyard because he was so narcissistic that he was too blind to see how foolish it was to do anything that he was doing. Everything he did from the time he met Lori until the moment he tried to casually drive away from the scene of a double murder in his backyard was foolish. Chad Daybell was a fool when he murdered or helped to murder JJ and Tylee. He was a fool when he buried them or had them buried in his backyard. He was a fool when he sent those stupid text messages to his wife in an attempt to explain away the murder cover-up going on in his backyard. He was a fool when he and Lori shopped for and purchased wedding rings 16 days before he killed his wife. He was a fool when he killed his wife. He was fool when another 17 days later he married Lori. He was a fool prancing around with her with a ukulele in hand in Hawaii with his dead wife's $430,000 life insurance payout. And he was a fool sitting outside in front of his house while two dead bodies were being dug up in his backyard. Chad's children believe that their father isn't stupid enough to hide bodies in his backyard 
when he has all of Idaho, apparently, to hide dead bodies. The land is far and wide open for miles and miles and miles that it makes no sense that Chad would do something so stupid. Well, I hate to break it to everybody here who is on Team Chad, but Chad is that stupid. In the very little that we do know about him, he is as dumb as a box of rocks. His antenna is definitely not picking up all the channels. The problem is that Chad doesn't know it. He had JJ and Tylee buried in his yard, or he did it himself, because he didn't think anyone would be the wiser. I mean, these people weren't even smart enough in 2019 to know to leave their cell phones at home when burying bodies. These people can't even be bothered to file for divorce. They can't even be bothered to power down their cell phones. What makes anyone think that they're going to be bothered to go any further than their own backyard to dispose of two bodies? Then Chad's kid said that simply due to the fact that their father was a professional grave digger, that that means he's innocent, that he knew how to dig graves and he would not bury bodies in shallow graves so haphazardly in his yard, that as a professional at it, he would have done a much better job. Okay, so what? Chad's going to measure out the hole. He's going to define the lines where the digging is going to take place. He's going to grab his handy dandy backhoe and dig out a six foot deep hole. And then he's going to place the bodies inside of it, fill it back in with dirt, and then roll the grass back on top of it all nice and neat like they do at the cemetery. This is what they expect their father to have done if he was the one who had buried the bodies? Never mind all the mental and emotional upheaval going on whilst trying to get rid of dead bodies. Yeah, that's what Chad's kids are saying, that their father would have been the consummate gravedigger from start to finish, even if he was busy burning, mutilating, and dismembering the bodies of children in his yard. When it came to the text message that Chad Daybell sent to his wife Tammy about the whole thing with shooting the raccoon while burning tree limbs in his yard, as I stated earlier. I believe, along with many of you, that he was covering up and setting up a reason for there being activity and a disturbance back there. The timing of the text message coupled with the timing of Alex's cell phone being placed at the fire pit, all of it happening after the last pictures of Tylee were being taken only a day before at Yellowstone National Park which is only an hour and a half away from Rexburg. The timing of it is all too convenient. And Chad's son, Garth, he stated in his interview that when he got home from work that very same day with that whole text about the raccoon being sent to his mom, that his dad told him too that he got that raccoon that they'd been looking for. Garth insisted that they had a raccoon problem, that the traps that they had set out were too small, so... His father's best option was to shoot them with his gun. Okay, I get that. But why the hell is Chad Daybell going around telling everybody in the family about this stupid raccoon? Why is it so important on this day? The day that Alex Cox is tracked in his yard. On this day being the day after Tylee Ryan was ever seen alive. Why is it on this day that Chad just so happened to get that raccoon and that he has to tell everybody as if he had just won the lottery. Chad's children are sitting here with another yeah but excuse. 
Yeah, but we had a raccoon problem. Yeah, but we've been trying to trap this raccoon. Yeah, but the raccoon was too big for the traps. Well, I have some yeah buts too. Yeah, but all this flurry of activity is happening the day after Tylee Ryan was last seen alive. Yeah, but Alex Cox, a man who has no business being in Chad Dable's backyard, is in Chad Dable's backyard. Yeah, but Chad never sends such long-winded, detail-oriented text messages to Tammy about raccoons and the burning of tree limbs, and that it's pretty evident by her three-word reply of good for you, which to me sounds like it translates to WTF. Yeah, but Chad texts at these burning tree limbs, and then coincidentally, Tylee is found burned with disarticulated limbs, and most importantly, yeah, but Chad texts that the raccoon is now in our pet cemetery, yet coincidentally again, Tylee is found in that very same pet cemetery. The Daybell children were challenged in this interview with the facts that authorities found no raccoon in the pet cemetery. They say, yeah, but they have two pet cemeteries. Okay, yeah, how convenient. They even took the CBS correspondent out into their father's backyard and pointed to a second pet cemetery located on the property, that they had a new section of the yard that they designated for burying animals and that the FBI failed to search that area. They didn't touch it, they said. They never even went over there. Um, that's because they didn't have to. They found what they were looking for, and they didn't need to go any further than where they dug up the bodies on their family's property. They went to the exact spots where Alex Cox's phone showed them where the bodies would be. And frankly, it doesn't matter if they had a hundred pet cemeteries on their property filled with a thousand raccoons, they still found two dead bodies on their dad's property. Whether or not Chad burned limbs and shot raccoons on September 9th does not matter one single bit because that does not change the fact that Tylee Ryan was found in that pet cemetery burned, dismembered, period, and that JJ was found there too. And one last yeah but about this, raccoons are nocturnal. I'm not saying that they don't go dumpster diving during the day. If they get hungry or they smell something good, or if they're startled out of their daytime hiding places, but they usually come out at night. Chad's kids do not believe their father would ever kill anybody because killing is not what God would want. They said that they don't get their father's so-called belief in some people having dark spirits, and that includes Tylee Ryan. Chad wrote in an email that he sent to Lori where he was giving people grades based on the darkness of their spirits, and he gave Tylee a D for dark. What say the Daybell children? They don't know, but it seems immature. So now Chad Daybell is acting childish. Therefore, he can't be a murderer. A man-child who doesn't believe in murder because that's not what God wants. A man-child who talks of zombies and cults. They say never. Their father never spoke of zombies. He never spoke of cults. Ever. And if he wanted to start a cult, that the five of them, they would be the prime members. I have to disagree with that statement wholeheartedly. I do not doubt that Chad loved his children. But there are at least two or three reasons why I believe they were never going to be members of Chad's cult. Here's the thing. Everything, and I mean everything, that Chad and Lori did was motivated by money or some kind of gain. 
everybody who died around them, everybody that they are accused or suspected of murdering, Chad and Lori benefited from their deaths, every single one of them. When Charles was murdered, Lori stood to gain a million dollars in a life insurance payout, so she thought. She avoided potentially lengthy and costly divorce. She would come away free and clear with all of their marital assets. She would be able to maintain custody of JJ and his social security, which she most likely would have lost in the divorce proceedings. When Lori got rid of Charles, she got rid of the family breadwinner, and she didn't get the $1 million. So she decided to rid herself of the financial burden of the children. And while doing so, she would be able to keep their deaths hidden and buried so she could continue to collect on both of their social security payouts. That was a double win for Lori, dead kids, and she'd pocket their money. And when Tammy died, Chad collected a little less than half a million dollars in life insurance money as a result of her death. And like Lori, he too would come away free and clear with all of their marital assets and avoid a potentially costly divorce. Chad Daybell had nothing to gain by getting rid of or indoctrinating his kids into his so-called cult because they seem to me for the most part to have their heads on straight. They have made a number of judgment calls about their father and they have questioned a number of his actions and decisions as being socially inappropriate or immature. So clearly they're not going to buy into this doomsday zombie prepper people stuff that their dad was pushing. And he certainly wasn't about to murder five young adults, most of whom were already married and having some of their own kids. That would be way too many people that would become immediately suspicious. Unlike Tylee and JJ, who really had little to no connections outside of their mother. She moved around and disappeared and reappeared randomly enough in order for their disappearances to go unnoticed. At least Lori thought it would, if not for Kay and Larry Woodcock, who refused to accept JJ's inexplicable silence. They really are two of the biggest heroes in the story, refusing to give up no matter how many times Lori tried to swat them away. And the same goes for Lori's son, Colby, too. These are the people who are giving voices to those who were silenced by Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow, JJ's grandparents, and Lori's own son. If I were a Daybell kid, I'd be taking notes. In a footnote in their interview, the Daybell children did finally mention that they did not want to seem callous about J.J. and Tylee. To me, it seemed kind of like an afterthought on their part when they were challenged about wanting to see justice for these two children. They said that they do want to see justice for Tylee and J.J., that they feel horrible about this crime, that it's sad, but it's just the wrong person is being prosecuted, that it wasn't their dad who did this. And while there's not so much of the proverbial smoking gun in this case, there's not all that much in the way of DNA or fingerprints or trace evidence linking Chad to these murders. There's no eyewitnesses, nor is there a confession. There are plenty of pieces of circumstantial evidence that when you piece them all together, it paints a pretty ugly picture for Chad Daybell. The bodies in his backyard, 
the text messages to Tammy about the raccoon. Tammy being found to have been asphyxiated. And when Chad told Melanie Gibb to not answer the phone when the police called looking for JJ. All of that is pretty ugly. I would also take into account Chad's very muted responses in that phone call that I played for you with Lori as authorities were digging up bodies in his yard. The Daybell children believe their father was framed, that Alex and Lori conspired together to murder JJ and Tylee, and that Alex surreptitiously buried them in Chad's yard in order for him to take the fall. But for me, when we consider everything in its totality, including the fact that Lori was madly in love and obsessed with Chad, why would she try and frame him? She wasn't going to sacrifice Chad. It was the other way around. She sacrificed everybody else in her life to be with this man. And none of this detracts from the fact that he did the same thing for Lori when he murdered his wife. Chad is now very desperately attempting to portray himself as the victim in this case, and he's using the love and devotion that his own children have for him to manipulate them in being his supporting cast. I just wonder, what would Tammy Daybell say about this, if she had a voice? I want to thank you all so much for listening. I may have made some of you upset with my opinions about the Daybell children. I just found it really upsetting that in the face of all of these facts and truth about Chad Daybell, that he's still able to wield so much power over these people. It's not really them, and this is not their fault, but they've chosen their side. True justice is not simply meant only for JJ and Tylee, and possibly Charles too, but it would also mean getting justice for Tammy. And we'll see how all of this plays out in 2023, when Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell finally face Judgment Day. Until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>